Hello and welcome to Kingdom Conversations, a ministry of Faith Covenant Church. We are so excited to have you today as we talk about all things related to the Kingdom of God. Hello and welcome to Kingdom Conversations. I have to tell you that I am honestly um, so looking forward to this conversation tonight because it's something that God has been developing in my heart since I have been at this church. And as I listen to Pastor Kevin and Pastor James and Dan and Alex all pour into what it means to look more like Jesus every day in every way. And we talk about, we're going to be talking about lots of things that tie into um, our mission statement tonight. So before we get started, I'm going to ask Pastor James, will you give us a quick peek? What is tonight's, uh, or today, if you're listening during the day, podcast about? And then let's go back and flesh it out. Yeah, so the thing we're going to be talking about today is about how our biblical knowledge should lead to practice, that Christianity isn't just about who knows the most Bible statistics, who can win a game of Bible trivia, but the Christian life is really about living it out, looking like Jesus more every day in every way, not just in what we know, but in what we do. And knowledge is certainly important, and we'll talk about that as we get going, but more important than just knowing is doing. The Bible says we want to be doers of the word and not just hearers only. Okay, so let me, I'm going to just jump right in with my first question. What is the difference between being a doer and work being works-based? Yeah, so the difference is where you put your faith. Um, so if works-based is I'm counting on what I do to get me into heaven, that doing these works, whether it's church attendance, whether it's Bible reading, whether it's giving money, whether it's helping the poor or minorities or immigrants or um, whatever your work is, works-based is counting on doing this is what's going to get me into heaven. Whereas being a doer of the word means I see the Bible say something. And so I do it because that's what the Bible says. I know I'm going to get to heaven because Jesus died in my place. I'm going to get to heaven because of my faith in Christ. But the Bible tells me to pray, and so I'm going to pray. The Bible tells me to help the poor and the widow, and so I'm going to help the poor and the widow because I'm trying to obey what Jesus told me to do. Mm-hmm. So it's where you put your faith. Is your faith in Jesus Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection, or is your faith in what you're doing? Yeah. I think that is probably one of the best answers I've ever heard to that question. So what I just heard you say is it's it's what it gives birth to. So does my faith give birth to action? That's right. what God is calling us to. Or am I trying to earn my salvation by I'm doing all of these things right, but maybe the posture of my heart is just trying to check a box. Correct. Is that it? Yeah. Okay. So we're talking today about knowledge leading to practice, leading to acts. Let's talk a little bit about what is knowledge. So what does that look like when you're reading your Bible? Well, Paul said that his goal was to know God. So knowledge is knowing who God is, it's knowing who Jesus is, it's knowing how he lived, it's knowing how he wants us to live. And so the knowledge part is very important because if I don't know, I can't accurately obey or do. If I don't know who Jesus is, if I don't know what he's commanded me to do, if I don't know how he wants me to live my life, at that point, I'm just making it up. And I think that's where we find a lot of people in our culture today that 
just whatever I feel is right, that's what I do. I feel like this is how I should live, and so that's what I'm going to do. This is what I think is right. I'm going to do it. This is what I think is wrong. And if you don't have the standard of the Bible, at that point, we're just all making it up for ourselves. And so the knowledge aspect is key, knowing that the Bible is the final authority, that God wrote it. It tells us how to live our lives. We do have to know the Bible so that we are doing what God tells us to do, but we can't just let that knowledge sit in our head. We have to put it into practice. I heard somebody um, say, it's been a little while ago, but they, they said, my truth. And one of the things as a believer is it's not about my truth because um, Jeremiah says that my heart is deceitful above all things. It's God's truth. So the knowledge is leading me to know what God's truth is. And you know why I'm grateful for that, James? I'm grateful because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the problem is, is when we allow culture or opinions or our personal experiences to dictate what truth is, it changes and it's shifting and there's no steadfastness to it. So knowledge does play a role, but it has to be biblical knowledge. And we have to understand uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, we have to understand that the word of God is infallible. Um, and that it is inspired by God, because there's a movement taking place right now. It's called the progressive church movement, where they say it was written by men, and therefore, it changes based on culture. What would you say to that person maybe listening right now, who doesn't understand that? And they do wonder, hey, was scripture written by man? How can they believe the knowledge and understanding that it is inspired by God? Yeah, a couple things come to mind when you start having that mindset it works great for me personally because then I have the the freedom I can do whatever I want to because I'm not bound by the Bible but where that gets you into trouble is you start running into conflict with other people if my truth is that it's okay to punch people in the face well that's my belief but when I come up against you and you don't believe that then now we have a conflict because I feel like I should be able to punch you in the face and you not get angry and you don't believe that I should be able to, when you don't have that standard and each of us have our own opinions, then it gets to the point, how do you resolve that conflict? And I think you can see this, um, even on a bigger scale, I think some people think, well, we just, as a country, we vote in morality, we voted out. We used to vote that, um, homosexual marriage was wrong and now we've decided that it's right. And so now it's right. And so, um, but when you, where you run into troubles is when you don't have that external standard, when you run into conflict between two cultures, two people, how do you decide who's right? And I think the one of the best examples of this is you look back 20-some years to 9-11, that Americans were mortified when those guys flew the planes and the buildings and killed mm-hmm. a lot of people. And there were people in Muslim countries who were celebrating because they saw that as moral wow. command to do that. And so how do we decide who's right and who's wrong? We cannot, if there is no external standard beyond just our culture, our culture said that was wrong and immoral to kill 3000 people. Their culture and their belief system said that that was not just permissible, but that was commanded in what they were supposed to do. And so you can't reconcile that. And that's the big scale thing. But when you get it down to individuals, if it's just my truth versus you, your truth, there's no way to determine whether I'm right or you're right. I'm wrong or you're wrong. And so it just becomes this big muddied mess. And I think, so you have to have the standard of truth, which Christian orthodoxy for 2000 years has, um, 
said the Bible is the accurate word of God. And I was listening to Francis Chan the other day and he said something that I thought was insightful, but funny. He's like, who are we now that we see a Christian community that for 2000 years has lived this way. When you go into the old Testament, you've got three or 4,000 years that has said, this is right. And this is wrong. And then I'm going to sit here and my 17 year old friend who plays video games all day said, Hey, I have a thought. Mm. And I'm going to side with that friend over yes. 3,000, 4,000 years of Christian history. Yeah. It's, um, it's just a strange way to think that suddenly I have a new idea that the Christian community hasn't dealt with over the past thousand years. So, you know, I love to do this, but as you're sharing all of this, something that goes right along with it is just a, can you give us a quick little Polaroid snapshot of the Dead Sea Scrolls, because then when you see the historical accuracy of God's word, it plays right into that. Yeah, so the Dead Sea Scrolls, they were discovered back in, I think, the 40s or the 50s, and they had been written before Jesus was born. Because what some people say is over time, as the scriptures got copied year after year after year, copy after copy, that they got messed up, that man corrupted them, and so we really don't know what God says. But what the sea scroll, the Dead Sea Scrolls showed is that the copies that we have are highly, highly accurate, and that they matched up almost exactly with the Dead Sea Scrolls. So the, the Bible being copied over the years has not been messed up. It hasn't been corrupted by mankind, the scriptures that we hold in our hands today is the same as they held thousands of years ago. Thank you for sharing that. The reason we're sitting in this to start this conversation is because you have to understand that where our knowledge is coming from, it's not based on man, but it's based on God. And I don't know about you, audience. I don't know about you, Pastor James, but I'm very grateful we don't have to lean on Mary's opinions and understandings because there's times when I feel very strongly about things and there's times when I have absolutely no idea. So I love that I can lean not on my own understanding and lean into the Lord. So I want to open or I want to share with us um, 2 Timothy 3.16 and it says all. I just want to say that all scripture, not some or pieces or part, all scripture is God breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped in every good work. And I just find it interesting that here we go with the word work, because we're talking about does knowledge lead to acts? Does it lead to being puffed up? What is um, 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3 says that knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. What does that mean, first of all? It's just a warning that thinking that just because you know the most about the Bible means that you're the best. Mm. And it's not about that. The first command is not to know the Lord your God and to know others, is to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor wow. as yourself, that what we know in the Bible about Jesus should lead us to love others, should lead us to serve others, should lead us to minister to others. It shouldn't lead us to the point of pride of what we know. Um, it should lead us to a point of love. I mean, if you look at Jesus, if there's anyone that knew God, it was Jesus. If there's anyone that knew the Bible, it was Jesus. And what did he do? He came down, took on the form of a servant, got down, put on a towel, washed his disciples' feet and served them. And that's what we're called to do as well. Oh. So tell me, when we talk about Bible studies, um, where does knowledge help and where does it get in the way? 
Knowledge helps because we have to know God. We have to know Jesus. We have to know the commands of Scripture. If the Scripture is the foundation for our lives as Christians, we have to know what it says because, again, we don't want to just be making it up. We have to read it for ourselves and know how God is telling us to live. But we also have to be careful that that one hour a week is not the end in and of itself and be careful that just learning more about the Bible is not the end in and of itself. Because there's a verse in First Tim- Timothy where he, um, Paul tells Timothy, command certain people not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work. And if we're not careful, I've been in Bible studies before that they spend the whole time arguing over minor points of scripture. They really have no bearing on life, but at the end of the hour, people walk out proud of themselves, patting themselves on the back because they learned a lot. Their knowledge really shown through their knowledge grew, but their practice hasn't changed at all. The The goal of growing in knowledge is, wow, I didn't know the Bible told me I'm supposed to do that. I yes. guess I better change my life this week because I just learned that Jesus doesn't want me to do this or Jesus doesn't want me to do that. It should lead to change in the way we live the other six days and not just increasing our knowledge on the one day. I noticed in our notes, you were talking about the Athenians. Tell me a little bit about that. Well, the Athenians that Paul came along in Acts, um, came upon in Acts just says that they loved nothing better than to sit around each day and learn something new, that you just get the picture of these guys, probably old guys that just, they sit around all day and talk about who has something new. And that's why they invited Paul in. Here's a guy, he has a religion, he has a belief system we've never heard of. So let's bring him in here to hear from him. And I think... Um, I think many times Bible studies can devolve into that if we're not careful, just learning something new. What's something I knew that I can learn in the Bible that I never knew so I can build my knowledge base, um, but we don't always live it out the way we're supposed to. And I think a way to, a way to think about this is, let's say that I get together and I'm having dinner with my wife and my wife says, hey, James, it really bothers you. You just throw your dirty socks on the floor and you don't put them in the hamper. And I walk out of that dinner proud of myself. I learned something new. I learned my wife doesn't like the dirty socks. And then I go and I throw my dirty socks on the floor. (laughs) And so we come in and we sit down next week and she says, James, really, you're getting germs all over the floor. Now I'm having to clean the floor. Like it's really unsanitary for you to put your dirty socks on the floor. And I walk out and pat myself on the back. Man, I learned something new. I learned that it's unsanitary. That's great. And then I throw my socks on the floor. Well, it's not going to go well. And I think very often as Christians, we do that. Wow. I learned that God doesn't want me to do this. That's pretty cool. I feel convicted. And we come back the next week and we haven't changed a thing. And we need to to actually put it into practice, actually live according to the word. That is the best description that I, I can recall ever hearing of what it means to come to Bible study every week and just keep talking over and over again about what we know is true, but not having to put that to practice. Yeah. I was going to ask you, how do you describe practice? But that is... A perfect example of what that looks like. Have you, is there, tell me, what is a practice you've walked in that you can think of that has given birth to transformation in your life? Yeah, so I think one one thing for me um, occurred a few months ago from one of Pastor Kevin's sermons, um, going through the book of Matthew, talking about forgiving people from your heart. And I just thought of some people in my past that had, that had hurt me deeply, um, that I wasn't bitter and angry and 
yelling and screaming at him in my, my mind, but I knew in my heart that I hadn't quite forgiven them. And so, um, just based on that, I knew I needed to do something about it. And so I took some time and I, um, wrote out a handwritten letter to each of them. I didn't mail it because I didn't want to, um, open up a can of worms, but writing it, getting it out on paper, getting it out of my heart, um, helped me to forgive them in my heart and move on. And so mm-hmm. that was one of those things that I could have just said, wow, I feel convicted. I need to forgive people. And then just walked out of church and gone about my life as normal. But it was one of those that, no, I need to actually do something about this to follow um, what Jesus is telling me to do. That was so good. The actual action. Many people think their practice is good. And um, coming from, you grew up in the church. What does that look like? Sometimes when you've been churched, this can be true. Is that correct? Let's talk about that. Right. I think... A lot of times we have, especially the almost the cultural Christianity model or culture that we have sometimes in America, just the idea that, hey, I go to church. If you think back in the 80s, I go to church three times a week. I wear a suit and a tie. I bring my Bible. I serve in the nursery once a month. I don't know what else God wants of me. I've My Christianity is pretty good. My practice is pretty good. I'm the big sins. I haven't killed anybody. I don't smoke or drink. I don't, I'm not immoral. So that must mean that I'm pretty good in my practice. It'll, I don't really know what to improve on, but I think a lot of times people don't realize the finish line is further away than they think that sitting in the pew on a Sunday morning is not the end point. That's the starting point. That's Mm. the first step. And I think some mistakenly think that just being in church is what God wants them to do. No, you're supposed to be in church to learn what God wants you to do so that you can live it out the other 167 hours in the week. Being a Christian is about the other six days, how you live at home, how you live at work, how you live at school, how you live in the car when somebody cuts you off. It's um, living like Jesus the rest of the week and not just sitting in a small group or sitting in church. That's so powerful. And I think it's something that can be easily overlooked because it feels right. We're doing the right thing. We're coming to church. We're checking those boxes. Um, And you know what? I don't think people are choosing always just to check a box and move on. It's just that we've not been trained in our culture. It's the right thing to do. And we want to get past it's the right thing to do to that we're driven there from a right relationship with God. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it says when you were talking about, um, knowledge and practice and all of those things going together, can we talk about Pharisees? So Pharisees had the knowledge that led to knowledge. They had more knowledge than the disciples had, right? Like they knew the scriptures, they wrote them out and scribed them and had them memorized and could do all those things. But what were they missing that the 12 disciples were not? Yeah, so I think an illustration um, just kind of set the stage to talk about this is when I lived in California, a friend and I went hiking up in Yosemite, and we went on a hike to a place called Clouds Rest, um, one of the higher points in Yosemite, and the last quarter mile of the trek, we were on the ridge of a mountain that was about four feet wide. Um, I may or may have not have chickened out and not (laughs) made the rest of it, but it was about four feet wide, and to the left, 
steep cliff. If you stepped off to the left, you were falling down to the bottom, thousands of feet. To the right, steep cliff, you step off, you're falling down thousands of feet. The only way to make the rest of it was to stay on that center line, and there was dangers on both sides. And so we've talked earlier about the dangers of not knowing, the dangers of just thinking that I can figure out for myself what to do, that I'm just going to be a doer, I'm going to be out there um, be active and working and trying to serve the Lord, but not actually know the scripture, not live according to scripture, that's one cliff you can fall off on one side. The other side is the side of the Pharisees that they knew, but they didn't do. Matthew 23, Jesus said that the Pharisees tie up heavy, cumbersome loads, put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger. So they tell other people what to do, but they don't do it themselves. They know a lot. They knew their scripture. They had the entire Old Testament memorized, every single word. So they knew the scriptures inside and out, but they didn't live it out. They missed the commands in there. Jesus said um, that they missed the love and the justice and the mercy parts of it, that they weren't supposed to not do the tithing, not do the laws, but they missed the heart of it about loving people. And so we have to be careful on the one side that we don't just think, I can figure out for myself what to do, and so I'm just going to go out and live and do and help and serve people because I have figured it all out. And on the other hand, we got to be careful that we don't just sit there and feel like I know everything, but I don't actually have to do anything with it. The Bible wants us to know the truth, but then God wants us to live it out in the way we love others. It just keeps coming back to how you opened us today. And it was the first commandment is to love the Lord your God. So is my knowledge helping me to love others, to love the Lord my God? Um, Something that came to mind as you were just sharing about the cliffs, which, by the way, is very uncomfortable when you're scared of heights Mm -hmm. thinking about that. But what an awesome illustration. But, you know, when I think about the people that have most... um, inspired my walk with God. It was those that had tremendous knowledge. They did. They knew their Bible. They loved their Bible. Their Bibles were a mess. But boy, God gave them this gift of self-control not to hit me over the head with the Bible as I was learning and growing. They knew how to walk alongside me and to love me and to point me to him without picking it up and crashing it over my head. And I tell my Rita story all the time, but um, Rita Hopper is, she's at Gulf Coast. She's one of our, um, our salt and light uh, leaders. She oversees it. And I remember her correcting my parenting and I was in my twenties and I hung up on her and she showed up at my door 40 minutes later and she was crying and she had a book and she didn't back down, but she said, Mary, I want you to know I've been in your shoes and I wish I'd had somebody speaking into me. That is somebody who loves the Lord, your God. And they love the people. And I'm telling you, she greatly influenced my life because all of that knowledge was not a bat. I felt so loved by the time she walked out my front door. That's what we're pointing to. That's a disciple, right? Right, absolutely. Because that's that's Jesus. Jesus was full of grace and truth. And on the the one cliff, the more progressive side is where you have the, they emphasize the grace, but not the truth. They ignore the truth, show the grace, show the love for people, accept everybody and their lifestyle and their beliefs and avoid the truth of the Bible. And on the other cliff that you can fall off is the Pharisees or fundamentalism today, 
which is we're just going to speak the truth, but it doesn't matter how we say it. We can be as caustic, as mean as we want to because it's the truth and people need to hear it. And the people like Rita, the people that have made the impact in your life are those that are like Jesus because Jesus never avoided the truth. He mm-hmm. had no trouble telling people go and sin no more, no trouble telling people this is wrong, but he always did it in a gracious and loving way. And that's as Christians what we have to do is we have to have the truth of the scriptures that we don't back down, we don't bend, we don't change because it was written by God that tells us how to live. And so we can't change the truth even if we don't like it. But at the same time, we need to have the grace and love of Jesus to present it in a kind way to people mm-hmm. and not just to beat them over the head. Yeah. Yeah. As you were sharing that, I had another thought. I remember Pastor Kevin talking about, um, we were talking, somebody had asked him a question about homosexuality and he paused and there were tears in his eyes. And he said, this is near and dear to my heart. There's people that I love that walk through this. And here's what scripture says to me, that was grace and truth. And it just moved the hearts of every person there. It's, I think pride, uh, as my friend Terry says from the King James, puffeth puffeth up, you know? And so it's that we have to have that humility as we gain knowledge to walk it out just like the people that have walked it out with us. So as we close this time, first of all, thank you for being here today and having this conversation because this is a big talking point in our church right now. We do not want to create Pharisees. We do not want to create followers. We are asking God to give birth to disciples. And so discipleship looks different than maybe what the church culture has made it look like in years past. We're, we're trying to repaint that picture as we're learning what that looks like. What would you say to somebody who's maybe, maybe they're new to the church or maybe they've been in the church for a really long time? What does it look like? to be an active part of becoming a disciple so that you can make disciples? I think the first key is humility. Accepting, I think one of my, it's going to sound weird, but one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Paul says, such were some of you. Mm. And just that's right after he lists a whole list of sins. And he's saying, that was you guys. Apart from Christ, that's you. And so the humility to say, I don't have it all figured out. My life's not perfect. I'm trying, but I still fall short every day. There's so many ways that I am not living up to God's standard or living the way he wants me to. So I would encourage people to be humble, to not think that you've got it all down, to think that your practice is good. Come to group with a teachable spirit, to listen and hear from God. And then I think the hard part from that is to put it into practice. As people, we don't like change. We like the way things are. We like the way we do things. But to my encouragement would be to start small, make a change. When you see something in scripture, say, you know what, this week, I'm going to work on this one thing. Tell your group, hey, this is my goal for this week is that I'm going to do this so that they can ask you next week. Hey, how'd you do? How'd you do with controlling your temper? How did you do with reaching out to your neighbor? How did you do with loving your husband or your wife or your kids It's taking those small steps, changing one thing at a time in our life. And the good thing is that we're not alone. We have the helper, the Holy Spirit, who fills us and dwells us and gives us the power to change. So my encouragement to people would be humble yourself, figure out a way you need to change, and then take the first step to do it. Thank you for listening to Kingdom Conversations. 
We look forward to you joining us next week.